0: Welcome to the Leaf by Lantern podcast, a show for Christian artists who want to retell fairy tales in the light of scripture. We'll discuss how to approach retelling a fairy tale according to the truth and beauty of the Bible, from ethical issues to images like rose gardens and dragon hordes. I'm your host, Alicia Pollard. everyone, welcome back to Leaf by Lantern. It's finally November. Uh, This season always feels like one great rush into the holidays for me. It's taken a while to cool down where I am, but I've already greeted a family of deer and something that looked like a lynx out in the wild earlier this week, so I know woodland creatures are on the move and I should be too in the direction of planning Christmas presents. Today's episode will be a little different. The original vision was for one episode on the topic of fairy tales and poetry, looking at how tools from the craft of poetry could help us retell fairy tales in the light of scripture. But as I began researching and writing, I came up with so much content that it was kind of a lot for one episode. Um, that's one of my flaws as a researcher i tend to try to cram too much material into one project so i'm going to split the fairy tales and poetry ordinary length episode into three mini or bonus episodes i'll go through three passages and look at how the biblical authors inform us theologically and artistically in the work of retelling fairy tales this episode will focus on what we can learn from the craftsmanship of genesis 1 and how that can help us retell fairy tales better so the theme for this episode is repetition. In the second mini-episode, I'll go through Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8, and talk about not only repetition, but also word choice. And in the third episode, I'll go through Proverbs 8, 22-36, and summarize thoughts on repetition, word choice, and personification. So that's the plan. But first, I'll explain a little bit more about the overall topic of fairy tales and poetry. In preparing for this podcast, I started to think about the craft of fairy tale retelling itself and its intersection with another genre, poetry, because they use some of the same tools. For example, repetition, a love for and curiosity about words themselves, and compact and powerful imagery such as personification. I started to think about how artists retelling fairy tales could use that intersection in our craft. And as always, how could we do so in the light of scripture, which is itself a work of prose and poetry. So this episode begins with a question. How can the craft of poetry inform the craft of fairy tale retelling in the light of scripture? At first, I wanted to organize the episode by those poetic techniques, so repetition, word choice, and personification. There are many more categories of figurative language than personification, but I, I had to narrow down my topic, so I chose that one. But as I selected biblical passages to explore these themes, those passages themselves started to talk to each other. Genesis 1, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and Proverbs 8:22 through 36, have parallels and intersections of their own, meanings that expand, amplify, and deepen one another that I can't ignore. So in these three episodes, I'm gonna go through each passage, its context, its structure, and then explore some applications. My final applications will focus on art and artistry. I'll read the passage out loud and then discuss it. First, Genesis 1. And by the way, every time I quote scripture, I'm quoting from the English Standard Version, or ESV. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So here are my thoughts on each section. Introduction. Verse one is astonishingly simple. We have a scene, an actor, an action, and an object. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then follows an in-scene description. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This sentence is just so simple and vivid. Without form, void, darkness, deep. So I get this deep sense of silence and solitude. Third sentence. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have a sentence with an actor again. The Spirit of God, who is present, hovering over the face of the waters. And I love that word, hovering, because it's passive and active, and it has the sense of waiting to it. It's interesting, the repetition here in such a small space. Face of the deep, face of the waters. Um, it creates some, some rhythm, Just just the beginnings of it. So using very simple, powerful language and sentence structure, the author gives us a formless and void world of darkness and water with one presence, God, the Spirit of God. Second section, the first five and a half days of creation. So we have six days of creation in this passage. Um, The seventh day is in chapter two, which I'm not getting into. And they're beautifully structured. Each day is bookended with, uh, and God said, and a creational command on one side. And then on the other side, and there was evening and there was morning, the number of the day on the other. So this pattern gives this sense of order and rhythm. But each creational day is different, and the days grow more complicated grammatically and creationally. They're building on each other. God separates the things he's made into different things. He names them. He creates more things on the same day. He sets or sets up things, and he blesses things. And the things that God makes start to act on their own. The earth sprouts, the greater and lesser lights rule, and so on. This progression makes the passage a slow build of life, abundance, and movement, like a musical piece growing louder and more complex. Even as the days grow more complicated, there's this masterful economy of verbs, and God is still the primary speaker and actor. He says things, sees, separates, makes, calls, sets, creates very simple pronouncements with total authority and unmatched power. He makes things, cosmic things, and then he judges them as good, something only a person of total authority and insight could do. So I say more vivid language, simple and powerful, expanse, waters, good, signs, seasons, swarms, heavens. And I see in the structure of this passage a progression into order, multiplicity, fullness, abundance, and life. Third section, the creation of man. So here the repetition of, and God said, for all the other days, becomes, then God said, that calls attention to itself. And the command is unique in content and style. Before he said, let there be, or let the something do something, But in verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here, at least according to my translation's indentation and spacing, we have the first poem in all of Scripture, Uh, unless you're counting this entire passage as a poem, which I think some people do. Quote, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. I see in this section another example of repetition of ideas and phrasing with a new idea introduced like a climax. Man as made in the image of God. That's repeated twice in different formats. Repetition means emphasis. So man being in the image of God matters. Last section, the blessing In verses 27 through 31, God gives a blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's four things. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's three things uh, to have dominion over. So if I'm counting right, that's seven things. Then God calls their attention to the food he's given them and the rest of creation in verses 29 through 30. So man has a task and provision for the task. And God, that's another repeated phrase, saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Very good is a pattern shift because everything else was good. In this structure, the sixth day feels like a glorious culmination. The things God made now have a ruler, and that ruler is a living creature. So Genesis 1 verses 1 through 31 is a story of transformation. God reshapes, illuminates, and fills a formless void and dark world so that it's full of life, movement, and color. But it's all orderly. It's each according to its kind and able to reproduce. I would say based on this study, the author's main point is that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, created man in his own image and blessed us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the earth and its creatures. It's quite a triumphant and beautiful picture for an exiled, recently enslaved, wandering and uh, rather disobedient nation to receive, for Israel to receive. It's also quite an interesting picture to people who witnessed nine plagues over Egypt, um, some of which blacked out the sun, um, sent locusts and frogs into the land, turned water to blood, and had other sovereign disruptions of creation. The repetition, careful word choice, and imagery puts the focus on God, his sovereignty, his power, his goodness, and his special relationship with the climax of his creation, man. A good Bible student knows that every passage points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have plenty of help from the New Testament writers to do that. Uh, Especially in his account of the gospel, John places our Christ right here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that had been made. So end quote. That's the beginning of the gospel of John. Christ was here and he entered this world later because we don't live in a world that looks like this our world is post genesis 3 Uh, it's it's post fall so it's marked with sin and suffering and death without christ genesis 1 is the blueprints of the house we wrecked with him it's a reminder of the sovereignty of power and power of the god who made us loves us and made a way for our redemption application Good application questions flow directly from the passage and its original intended meaning. I might ask things like, in a world of death and sin, what does it look like to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion? But I'm also looking at this passage as an artist who wants to retell fairy tales, so I'll do something a little different as well, asking how could a Christian artist learn from this passage in retelling fairy tales? I see two things this biblical author demonstrates meaningful repetition and word choice. I'll talk more about word choice in the Ecclesiastes episode, um, but for now I'll focus on repetition. So this author is repeating words, phrases, sentence structure and images to emphasize the main sentence subject here, speaking grammatically, the main actor and doer who is God and his work. The biblical author breaks the pattern of repetition to build towards and culminate in a climax at the end. As you know, fairy tales are repetitive. Cinderella goes to three balls. Snow White is tempted three times. There are 12 dancing princesses. These repetitions go in threes, sevens, nines, twelves, um, sometimes 100, but that's a little rarer. So here's an application you can think about in a fairy tale retelling. When you retell a fairy tale that has those repetitive sequences, um, don't just wipe out the repetitions and have just just one event or one thing, as if you're making the fairy tale more efficient. Use those repeated actions or events or parts of dialogue to build your character, uh, the drama and the tension, and then the power of the final thing. As an example of meaningful repetition, let's take a look at one of my favorite fairy tale retellings, Ella Enchanted by Gil Carson Levine. This may be the first fairy tale retelling I ever read, and I still think it's one of the best of the genre. Levine includes the three balls at the end from the grim version of the tale, and each of the balls has the same general structure, like the days of Genesis. Ella gets dressed up in a fancy dress, she goes, and then she has to run home by midnight. But the repetition does not feel repetitive or, or like a waste of time because with each night she's reconnecting with the Prince who she's already in love with. And if you know the plot, you know how the story is led to this point. She's falling in love with him again, breaking her heart even more. Each day deepens emotionally and intensifies the grief, the longing and her inner conflict until the last night. And the last night is the perfect crescendo for all that building. So I think Levine demonstrates in this book a craftsmanship that echoes the craftsmanship of Genesis 1, a repetition that's actually progression, a build of tension, complexity, and beauty. Thanks for joining. Next time, I'll take a look at Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and we'll look at repetition a little more, but in that episode, I'll focus more on word choice. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review to help others find it too.